because this is locker room for me. That's what Crossroads is. It's a locker room. We come here to uh, get filled up with God and to get our marching orders so we can go and, and, and spill it all out in our neighborhoods, um, wherever God placed us in our sphere of influence. So, man, the weather, though, come on. It's a little bit of a bummer, isn't it? Uh, summertime, and these, but anyway, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Okay, we uh, decided to plop ourselves in Hebrews 11. So why don't you turn there? I can give you a page number today, too. Nine seventy four. If you have a blue Bible like this, while you're still looking, um, leaving for Israel at the end of this week, and uh, just I need your prayers. Uh, this is the fourth time that we're doing this. Uh, we're taking a group of fifty nine people. Most of them are, are are from Crossroads, which is the thing that excites me the most. Several pastors, we have pastors from all over the country who will be participating in this. And so if you just think about it, uh, on on any day, just I covet your prayers, covet them. Uh, The group covets your prayers, uh, just for safety, protection, but more than that, um, that God would use this to catalyze his church, to follow after him uh, wholeheartedly, and to be about his mission in our world. So uh, thank you for that. Okay, Hebrews 11. Um, this is where we're plopping ourselves in this, this summer. And just to give you just a little context, first of all, without just uh, jumping into to a verse, I, I think verse 38 of chapter 10 gives us that. Look at this verse. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And, and, and the author of the Hebrews um, is writing to first-generation Christians who are going through this intense struggle because of their faith. In fact, the struggle that they're going through, you get a flavor of it in verses 32 through 34. Look at those verses. Remember those days after having received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult. And persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, which means they were in prison. They were thrown to prison. You joyfully, ask yourself, could you do this? You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you yourselves knew you had a better and lasting possession. So that flavors this struggle that these believers are going through. Which is why we have Hebrews 11. Now, before we talk about Hebrews 11, I want to ask this question. Do you feel this? Do you feel this struggle in your daily life? Do you feel uh, more and more a, a, a world that is against us. I mean, I'll be honest. Much of my life as a Christian has been filled with privilege. 
privilege connected to being a Christian. But what I'm sensing more and more is not privilege do we have in being Christians today, but more persecution. It's here. It's coming. And that's why we have Hebrews 11. Because look at verse 39 of chapter 10. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Those are the two options for us. We can either shrink back, cower, or what? Have faith. And that's what Hebrews 11 is here to show us. It's to show us the importance of faith. It's here to show us what faith looks like. It's, it's here to tell us how much God loves faith. When God sees faith, he says that's righteousness. Uh, and, and, and Hebrews 10 tells us that without faith, if we don't have it, we will shrink back. Okay, so, so far, Hebrews 11. Uh, first two verses, faith is believing. It's having convictions. Do you have some convictions today that burn in your gut? Last week, we saw that faith is worship, and it's not the offering that we give. It's our heart. This week, we're going to see that faith is walking. Um, We're going to look at this through this character, Enoch. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith. That's how all these things start. By faith. By faith. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, here's that word again that we talked about last week, he was commended. God approved of him. God smiled on him as one who pleased God because without faith, It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is our text for today. You may be seated. And, you know, at the beginning of the week, I read a text like this. I'm like, how am I going to make a sermon out of just this little short? But trust me, there's something here. Um, Anyone want to take a guess on how many verses in the Bible are about Enoch? Five. Five whole verses. And Hebrews 11, again, assumes that we know this character, Enoch. Who is Enoch? Let's start there. Why is Enoch important? Well, where do we first read about Enoch? Genesis. Anybody know the chapter? Five. Love that. Okay, let's go there. Genesis 5. Now, the first sentence of Genesis 5 is really a chapter heading. And the chapter heading is, this is the chapter of Adam's Toledot. Toledot is a Hebrew word, and it may be one of the most important words in the Bible. To us, it it just translates genealogy. And let's be honest, to us, as Westerners, Our genealogies are of little importance to us. In our Western culture, 
It's all about the individual. It's all about me, myself, and I. For instance, when it comes to the big questions, who are you? What are you doing here? What we do in the West is we make this all about me. I have to define me. I have to create my sense of me. I have to market me. I have to promote me. I have to blog about me. I have to sometimes create a cyber me. I have a me on Sunday and a me on Monday. I have a me that's a me with my friends and a me that's a me with my family. And a me when I'm at work. A me when I'm at school. A me when I'm playing sports. A me at church. So when someone asks me, who are you? What are you doing here? I don't know. Because I'm a Westerner. And I have the freedom to make life all about me, but in the end, I really don't know me. By the way, this isn't me. (laughs) Because I reject this Western way of defining me. In the biblical word, world, there's very little sense of me. It's all we. And any sense of me that, 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 that a person has comes from this important word, toledot. Toledot means my family, my family story, my family name. It, it gets into my place in my family. So therefore, according to toledot, I am Rodvin Salkama, son of David, son of Dewey. I can't go any further than that because I am a Westerner. It's my family. It's my family name. It's my family story that defines everything about me. I'll tell you something that was shocking for me, and I've mentioned this before. Uh, When we lived in Israel for, for a semester... And you're looking at these people who survived thousands of years with no land, no country to call their own. And yet it kind of hit me, just, just rubbing shoulders with them every day is just how much swag they had. Their kids had swag. They walked with swag. To the point where it's like, uh, it, it, it bordered on, on, on almost cockiness. I was a high school pastor for many years, ministering to thousands of American teenagers. And I'll tell you this, the, Ameri- the, the average American teenager today is full of insecurity. And, 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 and why do we lack it, and why do they have so much of it? It's because they have a strong sense of toledote. That I am not just my own, but I belong to my family, which belongs to a people, which belongs to God, which is part of this massive story that goes all the way back to the beginning and has been blazing this trail through history. That's who I am. That's why I'm here. And I want to recover that for us. And so I don't want to approach this text with just this individualistic, separatist way of doing spirituality that we, we, we so often do in the West. Or I want to do this with a sense of toledote, not just this God and me, me and God. Enoch walked with God. God and me, me and God. We come to a text like this that says Enoch walked with God. 
I don't want to turn this text into just a private, personal, individualistic, devotional thing. It's much more massive than that. So let's understand it in light of the way the Scripture wants us to understand these verses. Turn to Enoch 5, verses 24, 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became father of Methuselah. And after he became father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. Although Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. Now let's just put ourselves in the story, into this family, into this Toledot. Here's what we learned from the first family. The first generation, you have Abel and Cain. We looked at this last week. And from Cain and Abel, two Toledotes are going to emerge. There's, there's two lines. There's two stories. There, there's two kingdoms. In, in fact, in light of God's promise to Eve, which is right after the fall and the world lied, lied in ruins, uh, God looked at Eve and said, there is going to be a seed from you, Eve, a son, a line, a people. And through this people, I'm going to work out my redemption. So right away, when, when, when Eve has these two sons, the question is, which one is it? Which family line is God going to use to push back chaos and bring shalom back to his world? Genesis 4 is all about Cain's line. It's about his family. It's about his Toledot. And what we quickly see is that this line, this line of Cain, is going to bring chaos. Cain kills his brother. And it only gets worse. This Toledot gets worse. By the time you get to the seventh generation of Cain, who do you have? Lamech. Look at Genesis 4, verse 23. This is the first rap song in the Bible. I don't know if it's a rap song, but first song. Adam and Zilha, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounded me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Did you hear that? What he's priding himself on, if you hurt me, I don't just hurt you back. I get revenge 77 times. And so he says, someone wounds him, he kills him. Then he says, even a young kid bruises me, and I killed him. Here we see a man so consumed with himself and with anger and revenge that anyone who hurts him in the slightest way, he is going to take revenge, not just one time over, but 77 times over. 
Now remember what seven, and of course uh, Lamech is the seventh from Cain, what the number seven symbolizes in the Bible. It's the number of completion. It's the number of wholeness. So what you have, this seventh generation, you have a, a, a line, a toledot, that is utterly, completely, and wholly this filled with chaos and unleashing this kind of chaos in the world. If you ask me, that's the world we live in. And do you remember Peter's question to Jesus? Jesus, when someone hurts me, how often, not should we hurt them, but forgive them? And I think Peter thinks, man, I just gave Jesus a, a good answer because he answers with what? Seven times. Jesus' response to Peter? Not seven times. Seventy and seven times. And see, what Jesus is doing there is he's recognizing the evil, the chaos that this line, this kingdom of darkness brings to the world. And he's saying, what the kingdom of Shalom and my kingdom will be about, it's going to be about forgiveness. You know what else I like about this? Because Genesis 5, the next chapter, is the line of Seth. And this is the line that God is going to bring uh, his, his promised gospel, his promised kingdom to the world. I just, and, and when you put these two lines together, that Jesus now, his, his, his question turns this issue into a bigger issue than even forgiveness. The issue is now, which side are you on? Here's the line. Are you part of the kingdom of Shalom? Or are you part of the kingdom of chaos? And if we're people that take revenge and hold grudges and retaliate and harbor bitterness, we are part of the kingdom of, shal- uh, of chaos. But when we forgive people who hurt us, there's nothing more powerful that unleashes the kingdom of shalom in our world than that. Do you know who the seventh is on the Seth Shalom side? Well, turn to Jude 14. This is at the end of our Bibles. Love this. Start off at the beginning of our Bibles. Not this hot, sweaty, muggy day. Let's go to the end of our Bibles. And I still hear pages turning, so that's a good sound. I'm going to let you find it. Jude 14. Feel the joy in your soul as you read this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. What the Bible early on wants us to see is this contrast between these two Toledot, these two families. That this is the struggle. The struggle between chaos and shalom. Between these two radically different uh, families, these radically two different kingdoms, the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. And there's a reason even why the recipients of this book of Hebrews are experiencing chaos, which is why there's reason why we today are, are, are being persecuted more and more, why God's people, where they exist all over the world, are, are, are being persecuted, where the world is trying to snuff them out. 
because there's a kingdom of chaos that hates the kingdom of shalom. Hates it. And we belong to the family of shalom. The family of Hebrews 11. And the characteristic of this family is faith. By faith. And what is faith? According to our text, by faith, Enoch walked with God. We are a people who walk with God. God walks with us. Do you know this morning what an awesome thing it is that we walk with God, that God walks with us? That in all the brokenness of our messed up world, maybe even within the brokenness of, of, of your messed up life, that today we have the hope of the reality that we walk with God, that God walks with us. In fact, if you want to know why, 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 why this family, this kingdom is called the kingdom of Shalom, why we know Shalom, why we can unleash Shalom in our world, why we can see someone who hurts us deeply and forgive them, it's because we walk with God. I wish I had all the time to show you all the times in God's word where God calls us to walk. I mean, this whole thing is about a walk and how we're to walk with God in this world. Texts like, walk in my ways, walk according to my word, walk in my Torah, walk before me in truth with all your heart, walk in the light of my face. This, this word walk, it's, it's all over our Bible. Where's the first time the word walk is used? Genesis 3 verse 8, just turn there. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. So the first time the word walk is used, it's, it, it, it's distra- describing God who's doing the walking. And yes, this is right after Adam and Eve have sinned. And, and some people wonder, is this just God walking for the first time in response to Adam and Eve's sin? Almost every commentary I read said, no, this is not just something that God did in response to sin, but this is a pattern that already existed in the garden. Because the garden is not just home to Adam and Eve. The garden is God's home. It's his palace. And what that text suggests is that in the cool of the day, and I can't wait to get in Israel because the days are so hot, but then all of a sudden the sun starts to go down. The breeze from the Mediterranean starts to pick up. And the text says at that time, God would walk with Adam and Eve. I want us to see this. Before sin entered the world, God took us on long walks. 
This is what made Eden a paradise. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. I want us to think about that. The one who, who made the world, the one who fashioned the stars, the one who spoke the galaxies in existence is also the one who's walking with Adam and Eve. And see, that the, the sin of Adam and Eve, it, 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 it's so tragic. It's not just because we lost the garden. It's not just because we lost paradise. But it's because Adam and Eve actually made the decision that they wanted to walk without God. Essentially, they told God to walk away. And God did. And as a result, God's good and harmonious creation slips back into chaos. Brother kills brother. In fact, even that whole story that we looked at last week, uh, looking at that through the, the eyes of Adam and Eve, the world's first parents, as a parent myself, and just feeling the devastation that they must have, have, have felt, that feeling that they were responsible for them. We sin. Now look at our children. And then you keep reading Genesis and you realize that chaos infects not just a family, but it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. Even when you get to chapter 5 of Genesis, this, this text in which we're reading about Enoch, every person it mentions, even in the line of Seth, ends with, and he died, and he died, and he died. The curse and death permeate creation. And see, not walking with God. We've lost our ability then to walk with anything else. Our world is crippled. People are crippled. Families are crippled. Marriages are crippled. And now it's in this context... The chaos of Cain, the chaos of Lamech, that the text says, but Enoch walked with God. I mean, feel the stunning excitement of that statement. In the midst of all the chaos, in a world estranged from God, we have a human being who is again walking with God. And not only is that stated once, it's stated twice that Enoch walked with God. And the second time it says, and he was no more, and God took him. I say, wow! Because this is a hint that God is not giving up on the world. That he's going to repair this broken world. That he's going to redeem it and reconcile the world to himself. That chaos and death will not have the last word. And now walking with God is something we can know and experience right now. Do you know that? That right now we can walk with God. That as we await for the new Eden to come, that we can right now experience a return to Eden like Adam and Eve. We right now can walk with God in the cool of the day. And how do we do this? 
How do we do it? Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith. By faith, by faith, Enoch walked with God. So here's my question. Do you walk with God? Are we walking with God right now? What does it mean to walk with God? That's the question I've been looking at this week. And, and instead of presuming that I know, which is what we like to do all the time, that we just know what it means to walk with God, um, I decided this week that I would really study what God has to say so that I wouldn't just project onto you what walking with God is, but I would look and study the text and see what the text says and tell you what God says about what it means to walk with God. Does that sound good? Because I started asking myself, does walking with God, is this something that I do in my private life or is this something I do in my public, public life? Is, is walking with God something I'm supposed to feel? Is it something that's supposed to uh, elicit some emotion? Is, is walking with God prayer? Is walking with God going to church? Is walking with God keeping God's rules? I mean, what does it mean to walk with God? So let's listen to God, what, what, what God says about this. Other than Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God, and Micah 6 verse 8, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's no other clause in the Bible ever that says walk with God. So I decided, okay, let's start with walk. In Hebrew, it's the word halak. In Greek, it's the word peripateto. And, and as I've already stated, th- this, these words for walk are all over the text. Whether it's walk in my ways, walk according to my word, walk in my Torah, walk before me in truth with all your heart, walk in the light of my face, walk after me, walk before me, walk according to the Spirit, walk in a manner worthy of Christ, Walk in light of God's word. Walk in him. Walk in the newness of life. Walk such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and praise God. And then I notice that so often this word walk, we translate it as live. Which is what we already do in, in verse 38 of chapter 10 where it says the righteous will live by faith. The actual word there is the word Walk. Because to the ancients, life is a walk. Faith is not just something I put in my brain. It's a walk. This whole thing is about a walk. The righteous will walk by faith. Then I notice that when God sets in motion his whole plan to redeem the world, it's kicked off with these words to Abraham, start walking. Abraham says, where, God? God says, to a land I will show you. And by faith, Abraham got up and started to walk. He walked 1,100 miles, not knowing where he was going. But he trusted God. He trusted him. 
The righteous will walk by faith. Hebrews 11.5, without faith, this kind of faith of Abraham, it's impossible to please God. When God says it, I'll do it. I'll walk it. Later, God's going to say to Abraham, okay, Abraham, now I want you to walk before me. And I want you to see the picture of this. It's like a little two-year-old who's, who's finally learning how to walk for the first time. And they're holding on to, to daddy's hands and the little kid's just walking. Abraham, I want you to walk before me. God's teaching him and the human race how to walk again. In fact, this whole phrase, walk before me, is all over the Bible. And there's a Latin phrase that I think that captures this so well, which it, it's the Latin phrase, quorum deo. Quorum deo means simply before the face of God. It's this idea that we live all of life before the gaze of God for his glory. All of life. Look, Daddy, I see you. Do you see me? And that's not just on, on, on Sundays, but it's on Monday through Saturday. It's not just at church. It's in my family. It's at my work. It's in my sport. It's in everything I do. We don't make a division between spiritual and material, between the secular and the sacred. To, the, to God, it's all. All. Coram Deo. Doing all of life. Before the face of God. Changing diapers can be the most faithful thing you can do when you're changing that smelly diaper before the face of God for you. Now when it comes to walking, walk before me is second in terms of God's instruction. What's first does anybody know? And it's not even close. Walk in my ways. It's all over the place. It's almost in every book of the Bible. You shall walk in all the ways the Lord has, has put before you, that he has commanded you, that you may live. By this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk you in all the ways I've commanded you, that it may go well for you. And the Lord shall establish you to be a holy people unto himself, as he has sworn unto you, and you shall keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, and walk in his ways. I got a whole hundreds of verses like that. These two words, walk and way, or path, give us the whole Hebraic conception of what it means to be a man or woman of God. Because it's all about the path. It's finding the path that God has laid out and walking it. Have you found God's path? Are you walking it right now? Because this is what it means to walk with God. It's walking in God's ways. It's finding his path and walking it. 
And some of you ask, well, how do we know what God's path is? God has given us, he's laid it out through his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. We, 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 we can't know the path apart from knowing his word. And then we have to ask ourselves, are we walking it? See, all the spiritual greats, from Enoch to Abraham to Noah to Moses to David to Isaiah to Jeremiah, their heart was in tune with God's word, and they walked it out irrespective of what they felt. And they did it with all their heart. That's what it means, according to God, to walk with God. I love now, by the time you get to the New Testament, And I love when you come to a verse like John 1, verse 36. Because as good as the ancients were, as good as Abraham and and Noah and Enoch and Moses and David were, they're all lacking. And so the hope was that when Messiah comes, he's going to finally show the world how to walk. And he's going to lay out the path that we're to walk. John 1 verse 36 says, when John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God. In other words, what caused John to say, there's the Messiah, world, do you see him? He saw Jesus walk. No one walked as Jesus walked. Jesus came to the world to not just, not just, what I'm going to say is just awesome, be born and die and raised and ascend to show us the way to the Father. That's what he did. Awesome. He also came to the world to show us how to walk. To show us the path. In fact, this is the whole call of discipleship. It's the call to walk after me. Walk like me. Here's the path. Here's the narrow way. Now walk it as I walk it. 1 John 2 verse 6 says, Whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. A disciple is someone who walks after Jesus because they're so consumed with walking like Jesus. How do we do this? By faith, says Hebrews. By faith, by faith, by faith. This simple childlike trust. It's by this that we walk after him, that we, we strive to walk like him. In fact, there's no other better picture in the Gospels for me than Peter. I love Peter. I love him. He's raw. He's impulsive. <laughs> He's passionate. He makes mistakes. He goes for it. I love it when Jesus sees him, just like God did with Abraham. Jesus begins his ministries with these words, walk. Peter, walk after me. And Peter, the text says, dropped everything to walk after Jesus. And he follows him. 
And then sometime later, they're in a boat at night, and, 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 and there's a storm. And some of you are, are, are there right now. There's storms in your life. But all of a sudden, Jesus, it says, comes walking to them on the water. Peter's words are stunning. They're the words of a disciple. Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk. What's Peter asking? I love this. Does being a disciple and learning to walk and and, and walk after you and walk like you even apply to this? And Jesus says, Peter, walk. And Peter gets out of the boat, and this is what the text says. And Jesus walked towards Jesus. By faith, Peter walked with God. He took Jesus at his word, and he walked. By faith, Enoch walked with God. He took God at his word, and he walked. We don't have to be spiritual cripples in this world. We don't have to shrink back. At the end of the day, the question is, by faith, do we have faith? Fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Walk with him. Walk after him. Find him. Find his walk. How he walks. And trust him. Let's pray. And God, in preaching a sermon like this, it just excites me to be in a room with this people. <laughs> I mean, God, during, during the sermon, I can look out and I can see so many people who just inspire me to, to, to walk after you because they're walking after you. God, we want to be a people who walk with you. And God, you say, by faith, but even faith is a gift. So this morning we ask for that, that, that gift of that simple childlike trust that causes our eyes to gaze upon you as you gaze upon us and to go your way and to follow you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen.